of our tithes and offerings, what we're saying is, God, I know that there's only X number of dollars in the bank, but Lord, the reason I have any dollars in the bank is because you've given it to me. And the only ability I have to have any money in the bank is because you've given it to me. So I'm going to give it back to you to remind me that my wages or my bank account is not truly what sustains me, but God, you sustain me and you sustain my finances. And I'm trusting you with my necessities because you are more of a necessity than my necessities. You are the ultimate necessity. The idea of giving a tithe or a portion of our money is to remind us that God has given us all we have. It also reminds us, as Pastor Daniel shares in today's message, that we are to trust God with every aspect of our lives, finances included. God knows exactly what we need to survive and will always make a way when we lay aside our agendas and lean on Him. Tithing with open hearts allows God to do incredible things in our lives. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Offerings Revisited. Alright, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 28. As we continue our study here through the book of Numbers, Numbers 28 in this series that we're calling Preparation, I'm going to keep reminding you this, and literally we'll be reminded of this all through this series and for the three series that we're going to do in the book of Deuteronomy, because all that's going to go on literally takes place over about a 30-day period before the children of Israel go into the promised land. So literally, they're like overlooking the promised land, and they're away, ready to go on in, and literally, they go over all the laws again. It's kind of like, I gave you all the laws, and we wandered for 39 years in the wilderness, and I'm going to give them all to you again so that when you go into the promised land, you will understand who God is and what God desires of us. And you can't help when you realize how much repetition we're going to see that this is why you and I should be reading God's Word over and over again every single day for our entire lives, because We need to be perpetually reminded of who God is and what God is doing. We need to be refreshed all the time. And I know some people like to say, well, I've read that before. And I'm here to tell you, I've taught books of the Bible numerous times, the same book. And every time I read it, I learn something new. Because God's word is living and powerful. And when it's living, it means that as we are progressing and following Jesus and learning how to be faithful on this journey... Certain things speak to us at certain times. It's the perfect word for the perfect moment for the thing that we need. And so literally, like, we just finished the book of Esther here. I've taught the book of Esther before. I've read it probably more than 30 or 40 times. And I learned a whole set of new things through this series we did on the book of Esther on Sunday because God's meeting me in a fresh way because I'm on a different step than I was the last time I read it or studied it. Right? And so we read these things over and over again. And yeah, sure, sure, sometimes you read like, yeah, I know this, or I've memorized this whole section. But all of a sudden, God will take one phrase or one verse and apply it to our lives in a way that we had never thought of before. 
And so we need to be people who are constantly reminded. Don't ever think, well, I read the book of Galatians and what does it have for me? Or I heard a teaching on John's gospel. What am I going to get out of it? Listen, God knows everything and we know very little, right? And so God will always be teaching us. There's always more to learn. And so as we're going over things again and we have lots of repetition. And there's no doubt we're going to try and take two decently long chapters. Between the two, there's about 70 verses there, which that doesn't bode well for me or for you if we're going to try and go over 70 verses in about 40 minutes. But we have a lot of repetition here. So I'm going to reference back to other passages things that we've studied, if you've been journeying with us, if you're like, hey, I missed those studies, all of it is on the Crossroads website. If you go to crossroadschurch.net, you go to the Click Media Archive, you can go back and you can find the studies. We've done in-depth treatments on a lot of things. So let's jump right on in. Chapters 28 and 29, I'm calling it Offerings Revisited, because literally, we're going to go through the daily offerings, the Sabbath offerings, the monthly offerings, and then all of the offerings for the main holidays that we've already seen. We go through them all again. So let's start. Numbers 28, verse 1 says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer in the evening, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hint of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hin for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, you notice this begins... In verse 2, command the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. You notice in verse 2 how personal this is for God, right? God's using personal pronouns. It's my offering. It's my food. It's my offering. Do it to me. Offer it to me. Now, listen. When a person sacrifices unto God, it's not just a religious exercise. You're saying, God, this is for you, right? And everything about all of these offerings, and first we, you notice I read the daily offerings. These are going to happen every day. Everything about the offerings is a reminder to humanity that the things that they need for life do not sustain them. God sustains them by giving them the things that they need for life. We need to get that. The things that you need for life. Notice you have things like animals for food. You have things like grain. You have things to drink. Oil. All of these are staple commodities in that culture. 
All of them are being given to the Lord. Why? Because those things that sustain you do not truly sustain you. God sustains you by providing those things that sustain you. It reminds us every single day that our life is in the hands of God. And what humans always have a tendency to do is to worship and highly value the things that sustain us as opposed to the sustainer of all things. That's what idolatry is. It's when we choose to worship something that is created at the expense of the creator. So the children of Israel were given an elaborate system of offerings and sacrifices so that every single day and every single week and every single month and at every single holiday, they are reminded, I am here because God sustains me and I can turn back to God the things that I need, knowing that what I need, he has actually provided. Make sense? Just like we gather together and we receive tithes and offerings. For most of us, we say, our finances provide for me. And that is not the truth. God provides for you. And every time we give of our tithes and offerings, what we're saying is, God, I know that there's only X number of dollars in the bank, but Lord, the reason I have any dollars in the bank is because you've given it to me. And the only ability I have to have any money in the bank is because you've given it to me, so I'm going to give it back to you to remind me that my wages or my bank account is not truly what sustains me, but God, you sustain me. And you sustain my finance, and I'm trusting you with my necessities because you are more of a necessity than my necessities. You are the ultimate necessity. And so, notice, for God, it's his. It's mine. That's what he's saying. These are my offerings. It's for me. You do it for me. And that speaks about how personal God is, doesn't it? See, God wants a personal relationship. I remember when I first started hearing about that, I'd start to go to church and be like, man, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. I'm like, how's that all work? You know what I mean? Like, what's that like? You know, and the only way to experience God being personal is to make it personal, right? If you have a relationship with someone that's an arm's distance, you have an arm's distance relationship. Or if it's just a social media relationship, you know what I mean? It's like a personal relationship is personal, right? And you think of the people you have the most personal relationship with, and there's a give and take, and there's sacrifice on both sides. Anybody who's been married and has a semi-decent marriage, you know what I'm talking about. There's certain battles you don't fight because you love your spouse more than you want to have that fight, right? And so there's a sacrifice that is made, and God wants to have a personal relationship. Now listen, God wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me so much that he sacrificed his own son so that he could do it. See, we have to think, well, I have to sacrifice for God. No, no, listen, God sacrificed way more for you and I than we have ever sacrificed for God because God took that which is the most precious to him, his only begotten son, Jesus, and sent him to live the life you and I could never live and to die the death that we deserved and to be raised from the dead. I mean, God's own son, when Jesus returns, is still gonna have the marks in his hand. He's been eternally marred by the sins of humanity. And God did that because he loves us. He says, look, I want to have a relationship with humanity, but they need to be fixed, and I'm going to fix them through my son. And when you think about the reality of what God has done for us in Christ, any sacrifice that we give, you end up saying, I never made a sacrifice, really. Because God's sacrifice is so much greater for us 
than we could ever return to him. And it's not, God made such a great sacrifice, so I'm going to sacrifice back. It's like, no, I'm going to respond to God's amazing love, and true love is sacrificial, so I'm going to sacrifice in my life. So God wants it to be personal. He wants it to be. These are his offerings. It's his food. And all of these have the picture of a fellowship meal. In a lot of ways, this is the precursor to the Lord's table, where there's a lamb and there's flour for bread and there's drink offering. It's the idea like we have a friendship, so we share a meal together. And Jesus at the Lord's table, that Passover Seder and fulfillment, made it the most personal. He's like, man, this bread is my body. This cup, this is my blood in the new covenant. He's saying, we're friends. We share a meal together. And all of these point to that idea of the fellowship meal. Now, in verse 3, you get the daily offerings. Notice, you offer it made by fire. You offer it to the Lord. Notice, there's two male lambs in the first year without blemish, day by day as a regular burnt offering. Now, we've looked at all of this already. You can look at Exodus chapter 29, Leviticus Chapters 1 to 7, we'll get all these again. But notice, there's two male lambs in their first year without blemish, one in the morning and one in the evening. Now notice, you'll always hear that it's a young male lamb. So the idea is it's young, it's a male lamb, and it's always a flawless lamb. And so the idea is, is you give God your best. Now, obviously, a male lamb, if you are a shepherd, and I'm not, but I've read about it, if you had a young little stud lamb... You know, he, you can use that one to make lots of other lambs, right? So the idea is in that vocation, a young male can make lots of other lambs. And so it was a precious commodity, right? But you don't ever give God your worst. You give him your best. That's the idea. And don't miss the picture of a young male who's flawless as the picture of the sacrifice. Because who does it all point to? Jesus. The entire sacrificial system is type and shadow of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was young. He was male. He was without blemish. It all fits together absolutely perfectly. So, the day by day as a regular burnt offering. Now, in verse 4, we find out the one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other in the evening. So, there's a morning and an evening offering with one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hint of pressed oil. Now, for those of you who are super specific about the weights and measures, you can Google those. And what you'll find, if you're like me and you like this kind of stuff, is that there's a huge span of what these sizes could be. You know what I mean? We don't have hens or ephahs anymore. So people have different kind of, but you'll notice if you do enough research that you'll get about 50 different versions of how big it all is. And so I say that because we don't use the same weights and measures today as they did then, but you can Google it and you can have fun looking at weights and measures if you're that kind of a person and God will bless you for it. Well, he might not, but it's fun anyway. You know, listen, being a Bible geek is kind of fun. I'll be honest with you. I'll take it. It's a good time. Someone once told me the Bible's boring. I'm like, Bible's not boring. You're boring. It's good. It's like, yeah, you get math in there, you get commerce, you get all science, I mean, it's all in there. You get, inter- you get psychology, sociology, I mean, it's all in there. You know, metaphysics, philosophy, I mean, what more do you want? So geek out on it with your bad self. Anyway, <laughs> verse 6, it's a regular burnt offering, 
was ordained on Mount Sinai for a sweet-smelling aroma. And you can read that again. Exodus 29 talks about it. An offering made by fire to the Lord and its drink offering, one-fourth of a hand for each lamb. So you have the drink offering, you have the grain offering, you do one in the morning and one in the evening. I think the thing I really want you to take from this is that the rhythms of the life of the children of Israel was if you lived close to, at this time, the tabernacle and later the temple, every morning and every evening, you would be reminded that God is your sufficiency and that a relationship is available every morning and every evening, perpetually. And in a lot of ways, I think we need those reminders, don't we? Because we don't live in a world where you have these perpetual reminders that, listen, there is a God, God is holy, we are flawed, and we forget it over time. Everything in our culture says, no, no, you're great, you're wonderful, you're your own little God, and the world revolves around you, and you know, don't sacrifice for anybody, everyone's supposed to sacrifice for you and be entitled, and this is like the steady diet that we get from our culture. But the children of Israel had a completely different diet that they heard every day. This ability for a relationship. God saying, these are my offerings. It's for a sweet-smelling aroma with priests. And the whole history, every time you would look at those priests doing that, you're like, man, back X number of years ago on Mount Sinai, God spoke and he delivered the people. And God said, this is how I want to be worshipped. You have no other gods before me. And these sacrifices and all this stuff. And their whole culture was designed around the worship of God. And in some ways, we need to make our own rhythms that remind us of the same things. Like, how many of you have ever read Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening? Where for 365 days, there's one page morning devotion, one page evening. They're beautiful. But every day, you wake up every morning, you read the morning one. You go to bed every evening, you read the evening one. So great, great devotional. Old school language, you got to think a little bit. Spurgeon's a smart dude. You know, but beautiful. Every morning I awake and I read the word. I go to bed and I read the word. I have these rhythms in my life that remind me that I am sustained by God and God wants to have a relationship with me. And it was all founded and finished by Jesus. We need to find those in our lives because if you do not undergird, and if I do not undergird my life with this reality, we will begin to believe another reality about our lives. And we all know what that's like. So we have these daily offerings. Now in verse 9, notice what it says, And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is the burn offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burn offerings with its drink offerings. So now we have those Sabbath day offerings. These are in addition to the regular daily offerings. Now you remember, Sabbath, it means rest. In the Jewish calendar, it happens from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So we consider Sunday to be the first day of the week, and so Saturday is the last day of the week. So sundown Friday, sundown Saturday, consider the Sabbath. So on those days, in addition to the daily offerings, now we get an extra Sabbath offering, two lambs in their first year without blemish with the flour offering is a grain offering mixed with the oil with its drink offering. So we get more offerings on the Sabbath day. Now think about God's way of reminding people on the Sabbath that he is a sustainer. Remember when they were wandering through the wilderness and God was feeding them with the manna from heaven? Do you remember what he said? He said, listen, on the day before the Sabbath, I want you to collect twice as much because I'm not going to give you the manna on the Sabbath day, right? 
And so they would collect twice as much and they would have enough for two days. On any other day, if they kept it, it would rot. Because God said, I would give it to you every day, except for the Sabbath day. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to do the work. And for a lot of us, we forget that. And so we work like crazy people because we're like, I have to work. If I look like a crazy person, then I'm going to sustain myself. And God's like, no, no, no. I want you to rest, and I promise that I'll sustain you. So again, all of this is meant to remind us, each one of us, that God is the one who keeps everything rolling, that God keeps the world going around. I like to say, and I've been saying it a lot, that Sabbath keeping is a reminder that God doesn't need us to keep the world going around. And we need that reminder because sometimes we think, if I'm not here, the world's not going to go around. It's not all going to get done. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it. Right? And we think that way. And don't get me wrong, if you don't do the laundry, God's not going to do it for you. You know what I mean? But you can take a break. The laundry will still be there, right? And you need the break in order to be dynamic and energized the rest of the week. And so Jesus is, of course, the fulfillment of our Sabbath rest. But again, Jesus is our rest. We cease from our labors because Jesus finished the work in his life, in his death on the cross, and in his resurrection. But at the same time, if you're a workaholic, don't be. I mean, every aholic is never a good thing, right? It doesn't matter what the aholic thing is. I mean, think for one second. Think about how sick it is to be a workaholic. I mean, when did that sound like a good idea? I'm going to go, 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 and never stop ever because work is so much fun. It's like, that's an American sickness. If you ever go to Europe, I'll never forget the first time Lynn and I, we went to, on our honeymoon, we went to Italy. And like, again, I'm like, so I'm all Italian, so I'm like with my people, you know what I mean? And so it's great. But sure enough, every single day, two o'clock, everything shuts down, right? Because in Europe, they believe in resting. So after lunch, what do they do? They take naps, right? And sure enough, the first day we're there, it's two o'clock and we've been out torrents and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, it's two o'clock. I need me a cappuccino, you know? And I couldn't find an open cappuccino place. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? My people. I need, I need me some coffee. Cafe, a latte, come on, you know? And sure enough, I find this one person open. She's like, ah, Americans. And I'm like, what, what's that? She's like, you Americans don't know how to stop and enjoy yourself. So I stay open because I know that there's going to be a few you're going to roll through who are going to need some coffee. And I'm like, amen, sister. Thank you very much. And she's like, you should go back to your hotel and take a nap. It's good for you. Everything will open back up in two hours. And it, like, we didn't even know how to do that. We're like, go take a nap. Why, why in God's name would I want to take a nap? I'm in Italy right now. I just Give me some pasta. Come on. You know? But in other cultures, they think we're nuts. But we're all used to being this way. So we don't think we're nuts. But it is kind of a nuts thing to be a workaholic, Right? So take a break. It reminds you that God doesn't need you to keep the world spinning around. And my friends, that's a good lesson, isn't it? We are not essential to the workings of life. It reminds us that God is the creator and the sustainer, and we are the created and the sustained. And Sabbath keeping reminds us of that. And we have the commemoration with a few more offerings. Jesus is 
In today's message, Pastor Daniel began reviewing the sacrificial atonements the Israelites were required to bring before God at certain times. He also revealed to us what God intended them and us to learn from each element and how it points to Jesus. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here. I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. I love that God invites all of us to be a part of His family, and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith. In Vancouver, services on Sundays at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m., or in Southwest Portland, our service on Sundays at 10 a.m., as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7 p.m. at both campuses. We would love to have you join us, and if you're at a distance, check us out on our internet campus, crossroadslive.tv. I look forward to seeing you soon. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will discuss how the offerings we make to God need to reflect our true feelings about our relationship with Him. God has given us everything. By offering the best of ourselves back to Him, we honor Him greatly. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Preparation. Until then, may God bless. 